Our children may be dismissed for their continued time of worship. This year at Christmas was a very special time in my household because we had people there who hadn't been together, family that hadn't been able to travel and be with us. And so as we sat around the table on um, Christmas Eve, I said, well, let's just share what our favorite Christmas present has been that we've gotten in our lives. And so everybody was sharing. It came my turn to share. And I told about the year that I got a brand new bicycle. I had been riding one of those little ones with the training wheels, and I was ready for a new bike. And there it was, blue with the little tassels hanging off the handles, you know, and the white basket on the front and the little bell that would ring. I was thrilled. And as I looked at this bike, I noticed that right there on the, that covers the runner, that covers the, uh, what do you call that? The chain, the chain, um, was blue. And on that cover were the words, Debbie. Uh, now, my, I thought my parents knew my name was Nina, but um, right there in big letters, it said Debbie. And being the grateful child that I was, I didn't want to uh, complain about it since I did have a new bike, and so I never said anything. But every time I would get my bike out to ride and look down at Debbie, I just had this little pang, a little twinge inside of me. Well, as we were telling that story around, I was telling that story around the table, I noticed my sister over there chuckling in the corner with her phone. And I thought, what is she doing? So as soon as I finished, she holds her phone up to me and says, look, here it is. And she had found my bike, streamers, basket, everything. And she said, Nina, look at it. It says Schwinn Debbie Bike. That was the name brand, Nina. (laughs) Well, mystery solved and my pain was healed, but... (laughs) But words have power. We remember the power of three little words. I love you. When they were spoken for the first time in a new relationship. Or the power of, I hate you, flung in a moment when a child is angry with a parent. Words have the power to evoke a physical reaction, one of pleasure or pain, one of great joy or disgust. John 3.16 is embedded in our text today, and it can evoke some pretty visceral reactions, either good or bad. It's a familiar passage for those of us who grew up in the church. It was one of those verses that I was challenged in Sunday school to memorize. You know, we got the challenge to memorize three verses that month. I chose that one, and by the way, I chose another one, which I'm sure most youth know, the shortest one, which is Jesus wept, but I got credit for it, so... And even if you didn't grow up in the church, you should be familiar with that text from seeing it plastered on posters at ball games or even along country road signs. It's a verse that's been used and abused to the point that it can evoke uh, cringing among some church folks, which we witnessed last week during our discussion about evangelism at Libation Theology. The E word, evangelism can have such a negative connotation uh, 
Because many have had a bad experience around being saved, as our scripture says today. Most of us in this room have come to know that being a Christian is about a real and daily relationship with Christ. And it's about more than simply securing fire insurance or saving us from the fires of hell. If we were to take a survey out on the streets and ask people to tell us what they thought of when they heard the word Christian or church, we might hear some good things, but churchgoers or Christians are often seen as a bunch of hypocrites who live by a set of do's and don'ts that will keep them from burning in hell when they die. And they are narrow-minded hypocrites who judge everyone else. And for many people, that is hell. It is antithetical, I can't say the word right now, to their mindset, and that makes no sense to them. For we live in a world where action equals reward. If you do this, you get that. If you study hard enough, you get praise for good grades, and those good grades will get you in a good school so you can get a good job and get lots of money and you can get a good home and... It just goes on and on. It's all about if you do this action, then you will get this reward. And we live in a world that demands instant gratification. We want it now. We don't want to wait on some reward that we get when we die out there someday. With technology, we have things pretty much instantly. And those things will satisfy our itch for a time. And then we can get a hit pretty quickly if we need it again. So this thought of selling someone a package of goods that has a list of do's and don'ts for which the payoff is years away is really not an enticing deal for many people. I think most of us would agree that this way of looking at faith doesn't do much for us either. Many people live lives of quiet desperation, and they don't need some self-righteous person poking at their bruised and vulnerable places. And thus, most people have learned to play the game of hide and seek. Hide your pain and seek whatever is needed to make it feel better. People pretty quickly figure out how to hide their broken places, or else they'll be bullied, teased, rejected, and they look for ways to soothe that ache that's inside. So they don't really need something else like a thin veneer of church to hide behind, and neither do we. We come each week to this space, this place in our brokenness, looking for a word of hope for community. I often wonder what it would look like if, as we gathered each week, that there were thought bubbles above our heads and only our deepest and honest confessions would appear in those bubbles. I'm depressed. I'm worried about my family. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm in financial trouble. I'm having an affair. I hate myself. I don't know what to do for my child. I'm about to lose my job. I'm struggling with my sexuality. 
I'm trapped in addiction. I ache because of the abuse I've experienced. I just broke up with my boyfriend. I have cancer. I wonder what would happen if the people outside these walls could see those bubbles over our heads. Would they then be more willing to find a seat among us? For we tend to identify with people who share our struggle and our pain. Andrew Root, a modern-day theologian, says, Incarnation, or God coming into this world in human form, has little to do with cozying up to someone to convert them. Rather, it is fundamentally about sharing in the life of another. He says, God takes on flesh because God desires for us to share in God's life, for us to be with God. So God does not so much want something from us. Rather, God yearns to be with God's creation in intimate relationship. Did you hear that? God yearns to be with us. That's a very different image of God for some people. And it can be difficult even for us to fully embrace this love of God. But we might think of it in this way. When a new baby comes into the world, the parents immediately fall in love with that child and they hold that baby and they just stare in wonder and awe at this new life. They would do anything for that child. And that is a picture of how God delights to be in relationship with us. It is about being pulled into God's very existence. So salvation is an invitation to experience and participate in God's life. So when we read in our text, God came into the world to condemn the world, Came not, excuse me, that was just wrong, wasn't it? (laughs) I thought that sounded odd. So when we read in our text that God came not into the world to condemn the world, not to punish us, not to shame us for our human frailties, but that the world through him might be saved. We might wonder, well, saved from what? Well, Saved from hell or separation from God, if you look at it that way. But I believe it's more than that. I would suggest that we are saved and we are being saved and transformed daily in this relationship with God until the very end of our days. The Greek word for saved can be translated as being made whole or rescued. For you see, it is in relationship and in community that we are able to more fully see ourselves and live into this wholeness that God desires for us. That is God's dream for us, to live in the light of God's love. Now, before I tell this story, I want to say that I do have permission to share this. A few weeks ago, 
we started a support group here at church for those who had been sexually abused. The first night we met, the anxiety in the room was palpable, and I had to remind people to just breathe. For you see, these brave and courageous souls had stepped out of the safety of their secret and into a place where they spoke their truth among other survivors. When asked what they hoped to get out of the group, one person with tears streaming down their face said, I want to be able to share my story and not have to pay someone to listen to me. In that moment, I thought my heart would break, and the compassion of God in me joined with the spirit of this person. And in some small way, we were both saved at that moment, and there was hope, and there was light. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was right when he said, God did not make others as I would have made them. God did not give them to me so that I could dominate and control them, but so that I might find the creator by means of them. But sometimes we choose not to live in the light, and we get sidetracked. We head into the darkness, and then we fear that the light will expose our willful ways. But God... And God's love has always been in the business of seeking us out, trying to guide us and to move us to more light and more wholeness. Part of our text today referred to a passage in the book of Numbers where the Israelites, the people of God, had moved into the darkness and had to have a quick lesson to correct their path. You see, God was with them in the wanderings in the wilderness, providing food and water, but they decided that they didn't really like the particular menu that God was serving up, so they began to grumble and complain and badmouth Moses, their leader, and God, their provider. Now, I'm certain that we can't identify with grumbling that God and our leaders are not providing for us what we think we should have, right? Not pertinent to us. So the scripture says God sent serpents to bite them, and the bites caused them to die. So the people were pretty quick to say, Oops, wait, we didn't mean that. We're sorry. So God, in God's great wisdom and compassion, provided a way. God told Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and put it upon a pole. And he was to raise up the pole for the people to look at when they were bitten, and that would save them. (laughs) Really, God? (laughs) Look at the very thing that has bitten them, threatened their life, or is even killing them? Yes, because God is always in the business of saving God's people. God was asking the Israelites and us to look at our lives Look at the things that are biting us, taking away our life, those things that are causing death, death to relationships, death to our dignity, or death to wholeness. I sat in my office this week 
with a woman who had reached the end of the road. She'd gotten involved in some things that had almost cost her her life. Out of the hospital now for a few days, I asked if we could get together and talk. We talked about what had happened to her, and her shame was palpable. No one needed to wag a finger at this woman or say, shame on you for what you did, for she already bore the pain and embarrassment of what she had done. What she needed was to be reminded that God came into this world in human form to enter into our suffering. God entered into this world and took on the shame and suffering of the cross. And because of that, she could have hope. I reminded her that she was a precious child of God no matter what she had done, no matter how far she had turned from God, that God longed to be with her in her pain. And there were people who were willing to walk the journey back to life and faith with her. And as we held hands and prayed, the God in her connected with the God in me. And there in that space was hope and resurrection. God is and God always has been in the business of drawing God's good creation to more light and healing. And God's deepest desire is for us to be saved, to be made whole, so that we too can be in the business of sharing the light with others. May we all continue to be transformed in a love that knows no limits. Amen. Let's pray. God, we lean into your tender mercy and claim you as Lord and Savior. Open our hearts to more fully receive the love that you desire to give us. And out of gratitude for that love, may we be a source of healing for your world today. Through Christ we pray. Amen.